do you believe the previous interrogation techniques were immoral? I'm not asking, do you believe they were legal? I'm asking, do you believe they were immoral? Senator, I believe that CIA it's did extraordinary yes no, work to prevent another attack on this country given the legal tools that we were authorized Please to use. Please answer yes or no. They asked me, what do you think about waterboarding, Mr. Trump? I said, I love it. I love it. CIA has learned some tough lessons from that experience. I think we should go much, much, much further than waterboarding. Senator, what I believe sitting here today is that I support the higher moral standard we have decided to hold ourselves to. Can you please to. answer the question? Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So today we're talking about women, good old women. I can't get enough of them, but it's not Stormy Daniels or Karen McDougal or Melania or Ivanka Trump or Sally Yates, Jane Mayer or Hillary Clinton, God rest her soul, that we're talking about today. Instead, it's Gina Haspel, acting director of the CIA and nominee for permanent director. A vote is forthcoming. She is expected to be confirmed by a narrow margin, but really, as usual, no one knows what to expect. Haspel's a career CIA woman and known to be highly respected in the agency, having worked in Ethiopia, Turkey, Europe, Eurasia. And then in 2002, she ran a black site in Thailand, an operation called Cat's Eye, which was set up to prosecute al-Qaeda suspects after 9-11. Now, at the time, waterboarding was considered legal. Remember that phrase? Enhanced interrogation technique, although it did have the look and feel of garden variety torture. She was chief of that site during the waterboarding of one Abd al-Rahim al-Nashiri. That's documented. But a key issue in her nomination is also her role in the CIA's 2005 destruction of videotapes said to document these interrogation sessions. Now, in preparation for her hearing, the CIA declassified a 2011 internal disciplinary review written by then-Deputy CIA Director Michael Morrell that Haspel and her allies have said clears her name, exonerates her. There's some question about how extensive this review is, whether it truly exonerates her, and what role she played in destroying tapes. Even if you're not in the Senate deciding how to vote on her, this is all worth reviewing, but it's, it's really complex. And I suspect that whether you overlook her commander role in Thailand or consider it disqualifying, nothing about what she did with the tapes will change your mind. Now, Republicans outnumber Democrats in the Senate, as you know, 51 to 49. Woo, that is close. And two Democrats, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Senator Joe Donnelly of Indiana, have said they'll support Haspel. Guess what? Manchin and Donnelly are both up for re-election in states that went to Trump in 2016. So that's cool. As usual, principle, conscience, and a commitment to American values. Not at all the terror of losing an election by crossing Trump win the day. Meanwhile, Senator Rand Paul has said he'll vote against Haspel. Libertarians are not big on torture. And of course, Senator John McCain, a one-time torture victim himself, has advised the Senate to block Haspel's nomination. Jeff Flake and Lisa Murkowski, particularly among the Republicans, have said they were heavily influenced by McCain's deathbed objections to Haspel. Trump's communication aide, on the other hand, the very noble and normal and grounded Kelly Sadler, said McCain's opinion wasn't worth much because he's dying anyway. 
And then, of course, okay, this shit never ends. Fox News had retired Air Force Lieutenant General Thomas McInerney repeat some bullshit story about John McCain giving up secrets in Hanoi. The fact is, McInerney said, John McCain, it worked on John. That's why they call him Songbird John. These methods can work, and they're effective, as former Vice President Cheney said. Well, if Cheney said it, you know, it's got to be a lie. And you can check Snopes. The Songbird John thing is fake news. So this all ties it to my guest today, Theo Padnos. He's a journalist and torture victim who was held captive by al-Qaeda for almost two years in Syria from 2012 to 2014. Theo is also a friend. I've known him some 20 years. We are going to talk about torture and Haspel and Guantanamo Bay. Now, Theo is not the usual Trumpcast commenter, but he's a journalist as well as a torture victim, and his experience was a reporting experience as much as a personal and physical one. Finally, while this isn't quite a trigger warning, it's not not a trigger warning. We will be talking about torture. We'll be back with Theo right after the break. Joining me in the studio is Theo Padnos. Um, Theo, it is so, we just had an excellent breakfast together and it's so good to have you here. It's lovely to be here. I know this story, but I really want to hear how you would say it now because the story's changed a bit since you got out of prison in Syria. So what happened? Right, I mean, my the short version of my story is that in 2012, in October of 2012, I was like a hopeless freelance journalist on the Syria-Turkey border in Antakya, I met these three young Syrians who told me they were fixers for the Free Syrian Army, that they would take me on a little tour of Syria. Um, they brought me into the country and like arrested me. The torture began right away with these three young men. They turned me over to the Al-Qaeda organization. Um, they brought me to the central Al-Qaeda prison. At the time, Al-Qaeda and ISIS were one big happy family of torturers and marauders and, um, you know, mujahideen, they call themselves, which is uh, fighters on the path of God. Um, so I stayed with them for two years, and I was released in August of 2014. And the occasion for our talking is that you've written for Rolling Stone about the upcoming vote on Gina Haspel as head of the, the CIA, and she has also been part of torture programs before and so you wrote an open letter to her. Right. I mean, my feeling is that uh, torture bureaucracies tend to resemble one another and that um, the torture bureaucracy that I came to know it exists in all their prisons all across Syria, the same instruments and the same dialogues and um, people from different factions like the ISIS guys that I came to know early on when they weren't even yet ISIS and the um, people from Ahrar al-Sham, which is a different rebel group, and the al-Qaeda people, they all, um, their torture system is like infected by the sick sexual hang-ups that they have. I kind of wrote about this a little bit in Rolling Stone. And I, I think part of my point in the Rolling Stone piece was that we have this ex extraordinarily valuable part of our culture, our society in the U.S. That's our U.S. military. When you meet these people, they're such like good Americans. You cannot be uh, helped but be impressed by the virtue and idealism of these young people. And we want to preserve their idealism and their goodness. And when they are, when they fall under the control of a sick command structure, they themselves can become sick in a moral sense. Yeah. And we don't want this to happen. So, I, And because I think Trump himself is like 
will set the tone and does set the tone. And I think Haspel will do the same thing such that to allow torture to happen. As soon as it happens, this moral sickness begins to infect the command structure. And, um, you know, the, the people who survive this are going to come out and report what they, what they survived. Yeah. And it's not going to look, it's going to, it's going to come back. There'll be repercussions for generations to come against American citizens. You know, the, the people over there, the victims will be retaliating, you know, against us. We don't want this to happen. We want, we want to preserve the goodness of those young people that join our military. Didn't you say that, um, it, at various times, you felt like your treatment um, at the hands of al-Qaeda was partly, or at least they framed it as retaliation for oh, Guantanamo No, it was Bay. very explicit retaliation. They uh, have America-specific tortures. Okay. And they put me through this. Like, the um, Syrians got torture X, and I got the Guantanamo thing. And I see. I had the stress positions. They go, do you know this? Do you remember this? What's a stress position? You know, where they have you, like, kneeling against a wall. They had the, I was in a room where other people are being tortured in the Syrian way. Okay. And they go, no, no, you're American. You come here. You did this at Gu Guantanamo. Guantanamo. Okay. At one point, they had me do like a fake water torture thing. I was handcuffed by my wrists to a scaffolding. They hung me from this scaffolding above the swimming pool, poured water over me. And where was this? Where did your CIA, tra CIA training happen? Uh, how, how long did it last? Uh, you got to tell us exactly. Like, w was it in Virginia? Uh huh. You know, t uh, who who were the trainers? Did right. you like it? How did it happen? I'm like, I'm not CIA, I'm not CIA. But they're pouring water on me, and it was like I knew what they wanted to hear. Yeah. This, this is another one of my points in this Rolling Stone piece was that you will tell them anything that they want to hear in order to get the pain to stop. It's like the nature of torture is that you, anything that you can say or do to get them to stop doing it, you'll do. So you probably heard that this uh, military figure, Thomas McInerney, um, was on Fox Business Network the other day and said he was condemned John McCain as he's dying of cancer by saying that he was famous for being songbird McCain during his capture. In other words, that he gave away secrets. But you say that even no amount of military training could cause you to... That is certainly the case. I'm sure that is the case that... that um... It's an out-of-body experience, like you're not really part of, you, your brain and your body are not linked in those moments. Like the, the, the terror of torture is that you think they're killing you. Yeah. You, you think these are the last moments that you have on earth. Yeah. You're trying to save your life. So um, you, you're going to tell them anything to, to, grasp, to clasp back to that existence that you, that you see like receding into the distance. You, I want to live. I want to live. Stop yeah. doing this. Yeah. So you talk and say anything that comes. And, and, and then they, they stop doing it and they put you back in your cell. I'm sure this is what our torture bureaucracies do, you know, because it's a continuous experience that happens over months, especially in Guantanamo. But it happened with me too. They don't just go tonight and then you're done. Yeah. They go tomorrow will be worse. Aye. So during that 24 hours where you're waiting for them to come the next time, or maybe they'll come in the next two hours, whatever, you're thinking of something, anything, any kind of tale that will get them to believe and, and accept that this is the truth. Yeah. So in those, in the, whenever they were out of my cell, I'm like, I got to think of something better. But what's, Some, but what's weird is um, the, you know, the truth is much, is obviously much easier to remember and you don't have to say much more about it. But you could have said it. you're a journalist. Brought <laughs> I did. Believe me. I tried. They go, you're not a journalist. And that right. makes the pain worse. So, so this yeah. is how you learn what they want to tell you because you say the truth, and that makes the pain worse. So you go, okay, stop the truth, stop yeah. lying, start lying. That that lie isn't good. Okay, 
the pain is going away a little bit and it's like you're getting warmer, warmer, warmer. And the more you lie, the warmer you get. Ugh. So it's like, you know, you, you, you're, you're spinning a tale for your life. And what did you ultimately, or you told them different things over I time? I was a CIA agent. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, anytime, And did they actually like physically recede or stop when they thought, well, this is an even higher value. Um, sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. We thought. I <laughs> uh, see. Yes, it, it, they. I, I sometimes I would tell them. I would say, "I'm talking. Why are you torturing?" Uh, they go, "You talk, we'll torture." The, the, it's the endlessness of it. It's the total control that they have over your body. Yeah. This is the kind of thing we can imagine is happening in Guantanamo because they have. Um, like the law on their side mm. in a way that they have all the time in the world. They totally control the environment. So they can draw it out. And perhaps they're going to, you know, every torture victim once in a while is going to run into some sadist who just likes it. Yeah. And is going to keep on doing it. Yeah. And they kind of want you to feel that way. Like you're under our control now. And whenever we say we're done with this, but we might not be done with it, or we might just keep doing this until you die. And during that time, you say in the Rolling Stone piece that you started to speculate about what the command structure structure was, who might be giving the orders. In a way, that was part of the torture. That's right. Well, I'm not sure that one's mind goes to various places, but you know, one wonders like what kind of a warped command structure is involved. And I, I eventually began to think like, it's because there are so many civilians or outsiders watching this and wanting to participate. People were coming in from the neighborhood, people that might have been legal authorities, people who are religious authorities, people from um, like children and old men. You thought, I, I began to think it's not really one commander here. It's something is unwell in the society out there that is bringing in all these people who want to assist in the torture. And I, I think I worry that our own um, approval mm -hmm. and uh, our, um, yeah, our approval of torture as a method is an indication of where we are as a society. It certainly be taken that way. Mm -hmm. And um, who can say that those victims who speculate in this way will really be wrong when we have somebody who's so like morally perverse at the top of the command structure. We know about this guy's perversity. I'm talking about the Donald Trump. Um, you know, we, we his own perversities are so much a matter of public record. Mm -hmm. It's legit to say this, isn't it? Because of um, what he has bragged himself about, the, the way he's talked about sexually assaulting women mm -hmm. with pride. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the kind of um, braggadocio and, and self-confidence uh, that you get uh, in, in Al-Qaeda with the happiness that they express when they talk about torturing people that they hate. So there's um, when John Kelly came into the Department of Homeland Security before he became Trump's chief of staff, you know, he had run overseen Guantanamo Bay and had um, he had sidled up to torturous practices, including force feeding, hunger strikers, solitary confinement, and uh, and continually defied uh, Obama. And when he, what he said when he came to Trump's DHS is political correctness has inhibited us for too long. Is that a little bit what you're talking about, that there, there might be some kind of gloves off moment where bloodlust or lust takes over a torturer or beginning at the at the top of the command where it has it's there's no the, the environment in which they are carrying out the torture is an environment in which the torturers feel that they can um, live out their fantasies okay and, and what kind of fantasies do they have at first it's just like I, this person is an enemy this person has invaded our space and 
caused damage to my brothers and I want to make him suffer. Yeah. But later on, when they have him there for over a period of months, they start introducing their sexual fantasies mm-hmm. into this thing. If the direction itself has these sick, unrelieved um, longings for revenge and, and yeah. um, desires to live out their uh, fantasies, well, then the underlings are going to live out those fantasies. We don't want that to happen with our with our young men and women who are so good when you meet them. Yeah. Like I have done some talks at military colleges, and every time I do this, I'm just like, these people are the best ones among us. Yeah, these, these, they're they're like um, uh, young idealists who are want to go and defend America, and good for them. We need this. We need these people, but we want to um, cultivate and preserve and like um, enshrine their idealism and not and not compromise it with um, methods that certainly will compromise their their own you know integrity, their own sense of themselves. You know, it does seem like there might be hawkish John Kelly types who would hear your story and say, "We need revenge on these." barbarians, so we need a particularly American form of torture, that Gina Haspel might say, case in point, Theopadnos, we aren't going to tolerate that, that we need to amp up our least politically correct practices in order to, you know, as part of our defense strategy. They have increased the danger during Mm -hmm. the time in which, since the Iraq invasion, Mm -hmm. uh, um, our, like, military has made us more um, vulnerable mm-hmm. to Islamic fanaticism rather than less mm-hmm. because we've expanded the um, moral authority of those groups who pretend to get revenge mm-hmm. for our invasions. I see. Like th- those, those people really have, you know, the, the fact of Guantanamo mm-hmm. is still echoing in the Arab world. The fact of Abu Ghraib is still echoing out there. And those echoes have yet really to reach us. They're coming. So we, we want to um, draw a line in the sand and say, we're not, we're not, that society anymore. Yeah. But of course we are. This is interesting because, um, you know, there's been complaints that we don't need to re-litigate Guantanamo Bay, that it's in the past. And Obama ended the torture program and thus endeth our story. You know, we saw like Lindsey Graham, whose mentor, John McCain, was an was a torture victim. And Lindsey Graham has come out in favor of Gina of Gina Haspel's um, confirmation. So, and John McCain is obviously against. Um, what, you know, are we just, what is this built in forgetting? I mean, we now have John Kelly in a position of power, Gina Haspel potentially in a position of power. And yet, we all seem to agree that there's something wrong with torture. We can forget all we like, but mm-hmm. the torture victims do not forget. A part yeah. of the function of torture is certainly in Syria, but Perhaps also our own military um, like intention behind torture is that it doesn't stay in the facility, but it creeps out into the culture of the victim. Like he goes home and he goes, they did this to me, they did that to me. And the torturers want you to spread this story so that, you know, in, in theory, you will discourage people from, uh, like me, they wanted me to go home or, or they would have showed my mangled corpse so that I would be an object lesson to anybody else who came into their sacred space and started trying to spy. Like the journalists that came in after you and who, who were killed. That's right. I mean, they, they want to make a propaganda point mm-hmm. by torturing you. And they know that like, um, the more terrible it is, the more horrible the stories that seep out into the culture are. It's like torture victims often have difficulty describing what they actually did. So, you know, I can, I just imagine many victims go home to their families and the kids say, Dad, what did they do to you? And the dad's like, shh, I'm not going to say. It's too humiliating. It's too, it's too, um, it's just such a, 
a basement of yourself that you don't want to go through the details, especially not with your kids. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but those kids are chastened. However, um, I think that they're also enraged. Mm-hmm. And I think that torture has a way of like fructifying within the culture mm-hmm. so that it brings out anti-torturers. And when I was listening to this torture happen in my cell, I was just thinking like, how can you do this to your own society? Don't you know these men, if they survive, are going to get, have kids and those kids are going to come back and torture you. Yeah. If they don't torture you, they're going to torture your friends. Yeah. You're just introducing this terrible cancer into the society that will eat the thing. Yeah. And so I feel that in in huh. um, because we refuse to repudiate and in fact, we probably reward our torturers. Mm-hmm. We are, um, in effect, like introducing a, a sickness into the societies that we torture. And that, 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 that sickness will come back and consume us eventually. Mm-hmm. So and especially get the journalists. Because we're like the first, they're not going to get the CIA guys. They're always surrounded by military men. And they don't put themselves in positions of vulnerability because they're just they're into security and and the journalist is all about making himself vulnerable to the world so he can learn something Mm -hmm. so um you know we will not be able to do that in the future in syria and in iraq because making yourself vulnerable to that world makes yourself vulnerable to torture and getting your throat slit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the americans by the way over there i mean they are the it's it's like we are the font of all evil for them because we are thought to preside over these torture empires, namely Guantanamo. Yeah. We won't we refuse to close that prison. Yeah. Why yeah. why why can't we do that as a society? Yeah. It would seem that like the moral thing to do. But we can't do that. Something's wrong with us. We cannot repudiate torture once and for all. What the hell's our problem? It's such a we when we go in, in front of the public, we go, Oh, yes, we don't like it. But to really repudiate it once and for all, we would have a, a proper non torture in charge in charge of the government agency that is most guilty of torture Mm -hmm. and then we would also close the torture prisons we don't do either of those things so so gina haspel has said as you point out in the in the rolling stone piece she has said that she is now against torture do you it's so hard to know as you've said like it it, it, you think do you think she's sincere i know i don't think she's sincere and i think that our our command structure has rewarded the torturers and she's like the um, poster child of torture reward. Mm-hmm. She has responsible for a facility in which it happened. Mm-hmm. And later on, much later on, if she regretted this, it doesn't seem to have affected her behavior much because much later on, she destroyed the evidence of this torture. And now, uh, uh, like as a consistent protector and um, of torturers, mm-hmm. she has now been promoted to the place in which she can sort of um, command a structure in in which it could happen again. So no, I think that uh, if you were just looking at the bare facts of her case, you would say that she not only doesn't regret, but she is probably likely to invest more because it will mean more career success for her. Theo, I mean, I know other people have said this to you before, but I'm so grateful that you lived because, you know, we've talked about other torture victims on the show, Sergei Magnitsky, who, for instance, who didn't um, live. And it's such a complex story and we really need your voice. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And that's the show for today. Okay, so we don't do this often, but if you liked the show, be sure to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people discover the show. I mean, I'm not going to beg you, but really, the best way to turn somebody on to Trumpcast is probably how you got turned on to it. Just tell them 
in person, grab their phone, subscribe them to the show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast.